This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, Executive Director of the Companion Nonprofit Organizations, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy, and our advocacy arm, Energy Makes America Great, Inc. Each week, I have the opportunity to write a column that's published widely throughout the Internet and in many newspapers. I'm published in Breitbart.com, Townhall.com, RedState.com, American Spectator at Spectator.org, and many, many other sites throughout the Internet. You can find my weekly column there. Each week, I pick a news-based, energy-themed topic to write on. Having done this now for many years, you might think I'd eventually run out of topics, but that hasn't happened yet. This week, I've gone back to kind of an old favorite topic because of some new information that was sent to me. Many times my listeners send me leads or send me ideas for columns, and sometimes they become a column, sometimes they become a piece of a column, and I can't, sometimes I can't use it at all. But this week... My column title is, Is Tom Steyer Helping the Planet or Himself? Now, you cannot think about or look into, study green energy without the name Tom Steyer popping up over and over and over again. And so for my first guest today, I'm happy to welcome back Christine Lakatus, known as the Green Corruption Blogger. She has a blog called The Green Corruption File, and Christine and I have worked together and written what I believe to be the largest single body of work on the green energy crony corruption scandal. Christine, thanks for joining us once again on America's Voice for Energy. Hi, Marita. It's great to be back again. Thank you. Now, you you know more, I think, than about anybody about Tom Steyer's um, shenanigans, particularly in the world of green energy, because you've done such exhaustive work that you present in your blog, The Green Corruption File. Yeah, in fact, I've been covering uh, Tom, Tom Steyer and you and I together, uh, September 2012, March 2013, September 2013, March 2014, and two times in, in, during the uh, 2014 midterms. And basically it's because of his major involvement in this green energy crony corruption uh, scandal that you and I have been exposing. And what's interesting is that, uh, you know, I have some bullet points that I can just go over and then we can get into some of the meat of it if we have a few minutes. But if you keep in mind, he's a 2008, he was a 2008 Hillary Clinton supporter. And then when Hillary lost that campaign, he became an Obama bummer and again in 2012. He's also a Clinton Foundation donor, which I found that he gave between 100000 and 250000 thus far. He recently, last year, held an extensive Hillary Clinton fundraiser at his home in San Francisco. And the future, we don't know because there's a little risk going on between him and the unions. I think I sent you that article. I don't know if you had a chance to read it. Where they- yeah, and it was, in, it was in the New York Times, I think, as well. So we definitely yeah. have, a, have an interesting, uh, interesting battle going on there between the Greens and the unions. Exactly. So it will be interesting how that pans out. But um, the interesting thing about him as well, he got rich off of big coal from his firm, Farallon Capital. 
He, he's, in, he's involved in the Panama Papers, and I haven't even had, had a chance to dissect that totally. Uh, and, and John Hinderecker did a great article called Epic, Epic Hypocrisy. He, just like Starr was for Hillary before he was against her, and now he's for her, he was also for Cole before he was against it. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah. And, and so this is how, it's all about, as you know, it's all about uh, power and profit. But it, these millionaires and billionaires, they seem to have access and influence. And he has had Obama's ear, and he drove White House policy on energy and climate change. He was a frequent White House visitor. He helped push green legislation both federally and here in California. He was chosen to make a DNC cameo at the 2012 convention along with three other big green cronies, Stephen Wesley, Steve Spinner, and the CEO of Geek Energy, Jim Rogers. He was on a short list to replace Energy Secretary Stephen Chu. Okay, also he's tied to John Podesta. In fact, they go way back. And if everyone is familiar with John Podesta, he was Obama's former executive order czar, and now he's Hillary's campaign manager, right? And yeah. John Podesta's And wasn't he, wasn't, didn't, didn't um, Obama make him like his special um, embas- uh, ambassador or something for climate change? Wasn't there something yes. like that? Yeah, exactly. And so John okay. Podesta had a role in, with the next to Obama for a couple of years. And his big thing was about uh, green uh, climate change. And then, then John Podesta formed Center for American Progress, you know, way, uh, way back. And so uh, Tom Steyer has written articles with him. They've been in cahoots together. And he's also a board member at Center for American Progress and a, and a donor to Center for American Progress. That's Steyer you're and, talking about. Steyer is a board Steyer. member and a donor. Okay. Okay. Right. I want to make sure I got it clear. Uh, Right, and we know that Center for American Progress has been driving force behind the green energy scheme from the very beginning all the way back to 2008 because they handled his transition team. And then uh, uh, President Obama had placed a lot of uh, CAP members like Carol Browner, Van Jones, Steve Spinner, they're all from CAP, inside the DOE and in, in, in the White House. Steyer is also proud of Senator Harry Reid, Al Gore, another high-ranking Democrat, and other big, big greens. They just started a big organization called Mission. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, but what what was really interesting, what captured my attention was back in 2014, and you wrote a little bit about this too, in 2013 he formed his his, um, global warming machine called Next Gen, Next Generation. Yes. And basically he uh, dished out a lot of his own money to influence elections. And... That, and he's trying to get people elected that, that support um, the man-made climate change crisis narrative and therefore support mandates for more green energy. Exactly. And so he dished a lot of money. And what he did was he had like a hit list back then. I call it a hit list. Uh, Next Gen's hit list includes it, it includes any GOP with big ties to, to big oil. Okay, with Steyer and his cohorts deemed as dirty money. The billionaires and the crosshairs were none other than the Koch brothers. Of course, Harry Reid's always railing against the Koch brothers, libertarian yes. brothers, Charles and David Koch, who funded a number of conservative and libertarian political causes, what Next Gen had labeled dark. But, but just to be clear, not you or me. Right. No, no. 
<laughs> Not that we wouldn't cash a check if it came through, but I might even cash a check from Tom Steyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's going to be sending you one. Don't hold your breath. I know. So what's, what's funny is that he was bombing the airways in seven key Senate, state, Senate races and, and I think three governor races. And, and his climate machine choice of weaponry was liberal billionaire is bombing the airways with ads attacking GOP candidates associated with billionaires. Okay? And keep in mind that he's listed as a top uh, a donor to uh, federal uh, elections. So now he's attacking yes. all these people. Sire in 2012 became the third biggest donor. So it's a pot calling the kettle black. Exactly. And so whatever he did, so he basically, uh, he labeled his dark money, this despite the fact that Steyer gained much of his wealth from dirty money, if you want to call it dirty money, coal, which we don't think it's all that dirty. But anyway, if you want to go that way, while the Democrat Party loves dark money, of which Steyer is a main culprit. And so what I did back then in, in uh, 2014 is I looked at all his ads and, you know, I kind of like took them apart. Because he was attacking, um, and then he was propping up uh, Dem Democrat Senator Mark Udall, Bruce Braley, uh, Gary Peters. Uh, who, Mark I, Udall, who lost, by the way. Right. And so then I was looking at what, you know, what that was all about. And if you look, I mean, he's like one of the main people in, 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 the, in the dark money or that they rave against, like, let's get money out of politics, right? And everyone's saying, even right. Hillary now is saying, let's get money out of politics. And you've got him, him and, well, he's number two right under Michael Bloomberg now, okay? As one of the uh, biggest supporters. Exactly. Or biggest funders. Yeah, so you've got all that going on. And, and on top of that, he's, of course, you discussed this in your piece, is the fact that he is um, – Championing, you know, climate change, green energy causes and mandates and, and spending, government spending, of which he is uh, benefiting from. Now, we're down to about three minutes left, Christine. So okay. how is he benefiting? How is he benefiting from, from, from this, well, from these policies? Because he denies it. He says he's not. He says he has no self-interest, that he's just doing this because it's good for everyone. Well, he has an invested in, I, I, I caught, have three categories that I found so far. He has an invested interest in a rival pipeline that would compete with Keystone. He was a big financial backer of Greener Capital, EFW Capital, which I, they have like 12 on their portfolio, but I couldn't find it back then. But I did find three that were, uh, uh, Sanjevity was one, uh, and the other two that you listed uh, in your piece. And Sanjevity... They won um, millions of dollars from what I call, what's called the 1603 Stimulus Grant Program. And we thought all the stimulus stuff was gone. Well, this program was implemented uh, back in 2009 when the stimulus package passed. And this is where all the, these green companies, they apply for, and they usually get stimulus grants. Avondale got them. The Ivanpah Project got them. And they got the loans and the grants. In the case of Longevity, they got stimulus loans. And I think I counted like five. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't like hundreds of millions or 500 million like these bigger uh, organi bigger uh, projects received. But they did get stimulus money from the, from the 1603 grant program. So that's one. And then you, know, you found that – go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, 
And then you found the kilowatt one, which I didn't even know about. And then, then I found two others. Uh, it was uh, Project Frog. They got some sort of uh, Department of uh, Defense contract or something. So it's not just money that they get, but they get contracts and, and all kinds of uh, subsidies. That, uh, so he is benefiting. Now, now I don't know. He, did, he was an investor, a financial backer of Greener Capital. Um, so and I don't know how he can say he doesn't benefit. And then his, this kilowatt company, and what looks to be like predatory lending, uh, yeah. why is he not benefiting from that? I mean, he was a backer of that. He's not, no longer on the board, or he's on the well, board and more confused. Christine, you're making my head spin, and unfortunately we're out of time. So tell our listeners how they can find your most recent work on Steyr, and I assume your most recent work on Steyr links to some of your other more in-depth pieces. Well, that was the, that was the one called uh, Liberal Billionaire Tom Steyer Cash for Climate Change, which you did through your piece on Steyer uh, uh, this week, links to that piece. Um, so that's the most recent I have right now. And we're hoping to do a little okay. bit, dig a little bit deeper, and because there is this big connection to Hillary Clinton, so if Hillary becomes president, you know this this cronyism is going to continue. Yeah, scary stuff, yeah. folks. Please check out Christine's blog, The Green Corruption File. You can just do a search for Green Corruption File, and you will find all this work, that amazing work that Christine has done. I encourage you to support her efforts. She's a citizen. Uh, journalist who's just doing this because she cares about this country. We'll be back in just a moment. Please stay with us on America's Voice for Energy. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. It's not just your garden. It's the way you live. And there's so much to know. But you have help. Bonnie Plants. Now with Bonnie's app, Homegrown, you can learn about veggie and herb varieties, track and record your garden with photos and notes, share on Facebook and Twitter, and so much more. How'd you ever grow without it? Get Homegrown with Bonnie Plants for iPhone and Android. The more you know, the better you can grow with Bonnie. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. As you know, today we're talking about Tom Steyer. And my column this week specifically addresses his involvement in green energy, more specifically, kilowatt financial. However, as I was doing research, unfortunately, after I'd already written in the column, I ran across work by our next guest and discovered that he, too, has been following Steyer for quite some time. So I'm pleased to welcome to America's Voice for Energy for the first time, but I'm sure not the last, Simon Lomax. And Simon is an interesting person in that he is an associate energy policy analyst 
with the Independence Institute in Denver, but he's also a consultant who advises pro-business groups like Energy in Depth and the Center for Regulatory Solutions. Before going into advocacy, Simon was a news reporter and spent close to a decade in Washington, D.C., covering the energy and the environment beat. So, Simon, I'm glad to have you with us today on America's Voice for Energy. Marita, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So you've got a, a, a deep background in the topics that I address, which is specifically energy and the environment and the politics of that. How did you happen to get involved in um, Tom Steyer? Um, well, you know, uh, as you said in your introduction, these days I work uh, I work in advocacy, um, you know, on the on the pro business limited government side of the street. And uh, but before that, uh, for many years, I was a news reporter. And so, when I was uh, covering the energy and environment beat at Bloomberg News uh, back in 2010, uh, that's when Tom Steyer sort of first came on my radar screen. Um, this was before he was a nationally known political activist and a political donor. Um, and the story that I was covering was uh, a big uh, ballot measure in California, um, a big fight over uh, the state's global warming law, AB 32. And so the state's business community was very concerned about the, the impact that that law was going to have on uh, California's already high energy prices and, uh, and the state's competitiveness um, with, with other parts of the country. Um, and so they were going, they, they put forward a ballot measure to try to suspend uh, the requirements of this law, um, you know, pending, uh, pending reductions in the unemployment rate and things like that. And yeah. the champion for the... Uh, for the Vote No campaign that was led by the environmental community, the champion and the chief uh, donor to that campaign was a man called Tom Steyer. Um, and an interesting thing happened in that uh, in that uh, campaign, uh, that ballot measure fight. Um, the the business community was outraised by about three to one by Tom Steyer and uh, and the other people uh, from you know Silicon Valley and um, uh, the environmental community and, and others that he was able to. Um, sort of uh, rally to the cause. Um, so in the end, uh, his, his team raised about $40 million for this uh, campaign, or actually, I'm sorry, he raised about $30 million for, his, for this campaign, and the, and the business community raised about 10 and, and, and they lost, and, uh, and AB32 went into effect. Um, and, and if I recall correctly, that was kind of a surprise, because uh, the winds were changing at that time, and I think it was, you know, the, the impact were being felt, and I think it was pretty widely believed that the business community side would win. Well, and, and what you saw, I think, in that campaign, and, um, and I think this sort of explains a lot about, you know, who Tom Steyer is now and why he's picked the battles that he's picked, um, the environmental community uh, back in 2010 knew that if California, of all places, was to you know, hit the pause button on uh, any kind of global warming uh, regulation, that would send a, a huge signal, uh, not just across the nation but internationally, that um, that the, 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 that, a, that a big, you know, environmentally conscious state um, uh, was getting cold feet about some of the uh, so about some of the laws and regulations they had passed uh, that maybe didn't seem so good in uh, in retrospect. Yeah, and so they for them they had to they had to pull out a win in California or else it would have um, hurt their cause nationwide. Absolutely. I mean, they were um, 
it was a huge priority for them, and of course that's why that's why I heard about it all the way, you know, across the country in Washington, and and, and why I covered that ballot measure as, as closely as I did. Um, you know, and and from from that ballot measure in 2010, I mean, that in a sense kind of put. Um, uh, that put Tom, Tom Steyer on the radar screen of, of, of a lot of people involved in politics. And so within a few years, what happened is that he kind of graduated from, you know, just uh, California state politics, and, uh, and he really sort of launched himself as a, as a national political figure. Um, he's probably most famous, um, as you know, these days for... Uh, for putting up about $75 million um, uh, on the Democratic side of the 2014 elections to, you know, uh, try to get as many Democrats as, as possible you know, elected to... Yeah, and he didn't, he didn't really get it. He didn't get for his money what he thought he was going to get. No, his record was, I mean, if you want to put it kindly, it was mixed. Um, as you mentioned in your introduction, I'm based in Colorado, and of that $75 million that he spent nationally, he put $8.5 million behind uh, the incumbent uh, Senate Democrat, Mark Udall, um, and uh, it didn't help. Um, in fact, you know, you could make an argument that it actually hurt Senator Udall's campaign to have, you know, a big... Uh, billionaire environmentalist visibly um, uh, pouring money into a campaign to try to save him and, uh, and Mark Udall lost and, and now um, uh, and now Colorado has a, has a new senator in the, in, the, in the United States Senate, Cory Gardner who's a Republican Yeah, you know, I think so um, and listen, let me, let me, let me start um, let me add something real quick so sure. um, and I, think, and I think this goes to you know, why Tom Steyer's influence um in politics has such a such a mixed kind of track record. So I don't begrudge Tom Steyer for being a wealthy man. Um, he's, about, he's estimated to be worth about $1.6 billion, and uh, he's, a, he's a hedge fund manager. He made his money um, by you know, managing people's investments, making his own investments. Um, and as you have done a great job sort of cataloging, you know, a lot of that um, a lot of the money that he made was actually made in fossil fuel investments, um, sure. and, not, and not just in the United States, but you know globally. Um, and so I don't begrudge him at all for you know being a wealthy man and even being being a wealthy man who wants to get involved in politics. Um, you know, it's it's not at all unusual for that to happen. But where no. uh, where I um, disagree with uh, with Tom Steyer and his supporters, and I think where the voters have trouble with Tom Steyer too is, you know, it, it's how he it's how he uses that wealth and the kinds of policies that he pushes, and, and what you get uh, what what you're left concluding after looking at his track record is that, you know, Tom Steyer clearly thought that fossil fuel fossil fuels were okay when he was making money on them. But now that he's made his money, he's looking to essentially wipe out fossil fuels and wipe out the economic opportunity that the fossil fuel industry provides to millions and millions and millions of people who work in those industries you know, worldwide. But then it goes a step further because the, the cheap, um, you know, affordable and reliable energy that we get from fossil fuels that makes economic growth possible and especially economic growth in parts of the world, you know, that are considered developing countries that you desperately need to move people out of poverty and in a hurry. Um, if you were to eliminate fossil fuels, then you're really taking away uh, economic opportunity from the people who need it most. And so I think the voters at some level get 
that there's just something not right about someone who made his money um, uh, thanks to you know, the energy provided by fossil fuels to suddenly now turn around and say, well, that was okay for me, but it's not okay for anybody else anymore. And so I'm going to try to elect people um, to the United States Senate or to state legislatures or even to the White House who are going to wipe out those energy sources or make them much, much more difficult and much more expensive to use um, uh, because, you know, he just feels about them. He just feels about them differently now because he's more interested in, in politics than actually... Um, than, than actually, uh, you know, uh, managing investments in, a, in, in, a, in an effective and sound manner. You know, there is some hypocrisy there, and, and I haven't brought this up, but I, and I didn't get to include it in my column, but you probably are aware of this. It's my understanding that he has six homes and that of his six residences, only one of them have solar panels on it and that that house has solar panels on it because the previous owner put solar panels on the house, not him. Have you heard that? You know, I haven't, but if that's the case, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, we see this kind of thing all the time. I mean, just last weekend, for instance, there was supposed to be a very big kind of protest by one of Tom Steyer's key allies in this whole fight, a guy called Bill McKibben, who's the... Right, right. I'm going to write on this this week, so keep going. Exactly. Well, so Bill McKibben um, uh, was doing a a series of um, activist rallies uh, across the country uh, last weekend. Um, Break free 2016. Absolutely, yeah. And so he was on his way to Los Angeles. He's based in Vermont, and he was on his way to Los Angeles. And so his handlers thought it would be a good idea, I suppose, for him to, you know, stop by Denver on his way to L.A., and I mean, uh, and they had, they had to hold the rally at seven thirty or eight o'clock in the morning in order for him to make get back to the airport in time to make the flight to L.A. And to get from the airport to the rally, he was um, transported there and back in a in a, uh, a town car. Um, and so <laughs> here he is, jet- you know, here he is, you know, talking about the evils of fossil fuels, and he's jetting across the country in planes that run on jet fuel, going to and from the airport in, you know, a town car that runs on gasoline. And, 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 you know, and on plenty of it at that. Absolutely. And, look, there's nothing wrong with any of that, of course. Exactly. Fossil fuels are what makes the American way of life possible. But if you are then going to that's say why that my little organization is called Energy Makes America Great. It's you know that's exactly why. And it does. And you know, as you can probably tell, um, you know, I I grew up overseas. Um, I grew up in Australia, which is a which is another great country. Um, but there are things about Australia that are different than the United States. And one of the things about Australia that's different than the United States is that energy costs a lot more. Um, and it's not necessarily because the underlying price of energy costs a lot more, but it's because of additional taxes and, and regulations. And so um, it costs more to get around. It costs more to, you know, drive somewhere. It costs more to fly. It costs more to, you know, uh, your, your electricity bill, your house costs more. And, and Surprise, what you've said about Steyer and how people can find your columns or your commentary on him. 
Sure. Well, I think that the, the thing to know about Tom Steyer is that Tom Steyer kind of epitomizes this growing divide in the Democratic Party between, um, you know, the blue-collar constituency, the, the industrial uh, trade unions, the construction trade unions, you know, uh, people who go out there and work in industries and, and, and actually build things. Um, there's that faction of the Democratic Party that's historically been very strong, but over the past few years, they have been um, really, uh, they've been undermined and they're sort of under assault by the growing influence of environmental groups and thanks to, the, thanks to people like Tom Steyer, thanks to guys like Tom Steyer who have a lot of, a lot of money that they can put behind these environmental groups to really kind of challenge um, uh, the, the, the blue-collar wing of the Democratic Party. And so what, what is happening right now in Democratic politics, if you look very closely, um, and you see this playing out in the primary between Hillary Clinton and then Bernie Sanders. Simon, i got to cut you off. I'm going to be so in trouble with my producer. I'm already over time. Tell me quick, can people okay. find your work by, by do, doing a search on your name, Simon Lomax? Absolutely. You can find you can find me at the Independence Institute, which is i2i.org, and you can also see my columns at a, at a website that's called completecolorado.com. Great. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. We'll be right back. Thank you, Marita. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and this week we've been talking about Tom Steyer and how fortuitous it was that I wrote this column over the weekend, published it on Monday, and then on Tuesday the New York Times comes out with a big story about Tom Steyer and the union. So I, when I wrote it, I didn't know how timely uh, my comments on Steyer and his involvement uh, in this election cycle 
in green energy um, and that whole connection I didn't realize I was going to be that timely when I wrote it. But to talk to us now in this segment about Tom Steyer's presence in this presence, excuse me, in this green energy space is Dan Kish, who is the senior vice president of policy for the Institute for Energy Research. Dan has been with us before, and Dan, I appreciate you joining us once again on America's Voice for Energy. Oh, great to be with you, Marita. Thanks. You know, as we look at green energy issues, you just cannot talk about green energy with the name, without the name Tom Steyer coming up because he seems to have his fingerprints all over uh, every aspect of green energy, including, of course, promoting policy that mandates uh, increasing usage of green energy. What have you found in your role? Uh, the exact same thing, Marita. I mean, let's face it. Here's a fella. It's a very interesting story and an interesting character. Uh, multi-billionaire who made all of his money developing coal mines uh, in Australia and Indonesia to feed China's um, coal uh, uh, needs and and became enormously wealthy by doing so. And, of course, the Chinese are consuming about half the world's coal now. And uh, then decided he was an environmentalist. He lives in San Francisco, and um, he was going to get heavily involved in politics, and which just happened to coincide with the Obama administration and their drive for clean, green energy, and all the economic opportunities that uh, that flow from that. So he's involved heavily, whether it's, uh, and, and there have recently been stories about him being involved with uh, these Panama Papers, the uh, British Virgin yes. Islands. Uh, Chinese, yeah, do you know about that? We haven't, addre- we haven't addressed that yet, and I did not write on it in my column. I saw it, but... You know, you, when you're in a limited word count, you just can't do an all-inclusive report. And I saw the Panama Papers China story, but I didn't really follow it. Did you follow it? Can you explain what happened to us? Well, a little bit. I think it wasn't directly Panama Papers, but it was uh, Panama Papers-like uh, about okay. him. He uh, helped finance a company used by the family of China's former head of state to uh, put investments in overseas tax havens. And uh, these came out with leaked corporate documents. And his hedge fund, uh, the one he still belongs to, uh, had uh, joined a firm with with ties. Yes, he joined a firm with ties to the family of China's ex-premier in an early investment round for a British Virgin Islands-based company, um, according to uh, documents that they got in corporation documents with a Singapore uh, law firm. I mean, it's about as clear as mud, right? Chinese, yeah. uh, British Virgin Islands, Singapore, money flipping all over. And maybe this is why, when you see these sorts of things, why we can't exactly put our finger on his... Uh, where is his investments that he's making now, uh, which I think anybody with a curious mind would kind of assume have something to do with making money off the green energy things that he says we've got to do or our world's going to come to an end uh, with uh, global warming. So um, it very, very shaky, shady stuff that uh, it's hard to even follow, but uh, he's become a billionaire by 
by uh, doing these sorts of things in the past, and one has to assume he's heavily involved in it now, and he's driving, he's one of the driving political forces behind uh, the administration's push to uh, uh, try to kill coal in the United States, make it harder to produce other energy sources in the United States, and force people to use the sorts of energy that the president likes and who just happen to be sold by the uh, contributors of the president and his political friends in the United States. Yeah, and that's where my story, my column this week, um, some information was presented to me, and it's not necessarily brand new information, but like you've talked about, along with researcher Christine Lakatus, we've done extensive work, as you know, on uh, the green energy, what I like to call Obama's green energy crony corruption scandal. And Steyer's name comes up again and again and with Kleiner Perkins and, and all kinds of groups that the average person, you know, you kind of, your eyes kind of glaze over when you see some of these extensive reports. And I was uh, presented by, with some information about his connection to Kilowatt Financial, which is kind of like... Um, the subprime mortgage scandal, and again, I'm not smart enough to really understand how that whole thing went down. I'm not skilled in what goes on on Wall Street, but you look at this, and they're advertising that they're going to provide financing for solar panels regardless of what your credit score is, and um, you know that they will approve people that traditional lenders would not approve, and then apparently Kilowatt Financial is then securitizing these loans, and they maintain the investment tax credits because while they're technically loans, um, the, the people who have the loans for these solar panels don't actually own the panels until the loan is paid for in full. And so the benefits, the tax benefits are seeming to go um, to Wall Street cronies, and Steyer is listed on the corporate documents for Kilowatt Financial in four different states. And so to me, this is like the closest we've come to that smoking gun uh, that, that, you know, we're, that we've been looking for. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing to remember about so-called green or clean energy, this isn't about energy. It's about power and money power on behalf of the politicians and money on behalf of the people that support them. They create these these um, uh, mazes, again, uh, that somehow allow them to market things that aren't available to the most of us because of the huge uh, fortunes they've amassed. And uh, people don't actually own the solar panels because if they did, they'd get the tax breaks. But uh, instead, they can market those to people on Wall Street who hit, or corporate entities that have huge tax obligations, um, it, which is why you hear about some of these companies that make huge amounts of money and don't pay any taxes in the United States. It's because they're using devices like this. And these are all made by politicians. These are all made by at the both the state level and the federal level, uh, a lot of times they don't even quite understand exactly what they're doing. They're well, you know, it's funny you mention that because I was just going to ask you that. I was just going to ask you, do you think that when they when they make these policies that you know sound good? Yeah, we want to encourage. You know, you tax what you want to discourage. You incentivize what you want to encourage. So yeah, we want to encourage 
renewable energy. They say we want to help homeowners be able to afford these solar panels. So let's do these tax credits. Do you think that the, the people on Capitol Hill, when they're doing this, really understand um, what they're putting together, what kind of weird machine they're creating? Yeah, I think uh, many times they're surprised by the depth and breadth of what ultimately grows from what they thought was a small program, for example, to encourage solar or wind or some sort of clean energy, and they feel like they're doing something, um, gee, this, this makes me feel good, uh, and then they turn out to be much, much larger than they are, and instead of it being some... Um, uh, some small move towards this, ultimately what happens is they're just swamped with billions of money that is, well, you, you know, Warren Buffett has said it about Wendy. He said the only reason we're invested in him is because of the tax yeah. credits. Other people have admitted so much. Well, we don't invest in things in the United States just because of the tax credits. Um, just because you're No, you've got to be able to somehow that. take that tax credit and sell it to someone who needs it. Right, or use it to as a direct pay down on a big obligation that you'd otherwise have to hand to the government. Instead, you're being able to line your pockets with it. So that's what's going on right now because, listen, for eight years, and actually before that, even uh, through part of the uh, Bush administration, um, there were these programs. Uh, they got started back then as a, on a small scale and then, then hugely expanded under the Obama administration to just pour money into this whole field and community organize it, in essence, create economic entities whose uh, entire existence is dependent upon federal largesse through tax handouts, and those people become political allies, and they fund campaigns and give money to politicians and the like, and that's what's going on. And, and for some reason, uh, Tom Steyer's name keeps coming up. Uh, he's invested huge amounts of his wealth. Uh, he's got plenty to spare, um, and he continues to do it, but uh, putting your finger on exactly where he is in this is a little difficult, and I uh, want to thank you for the for the work that you've been doing to try to, to try to expose some of this so that people would know what's hidden behind the curtain here. Well, you know, it's what we're trying to do. We've just got a couple minutes left, and you've kind of led me perfectly into the closing area I wanted to go to, and that is the unions and Tom Steyer. Um, you know, as he said, he's using his money in a lot of different ways, and the New York Times came out with a story this week uh, connecting that. We've just got a, about two minutes, a little under two minutes left, but what do you know about that? Well, it's a great story, actually. What happened is uh, the uh, AFL-CIO was announced last week, uh, has combined with Tom Steyer in order to uh, raise money for politicians that Steyer likes, uh, which if you're a friend of American-based energy is probably um, uh, not a good thing. And they were going to combine money and match funds and the like to try to uh, drive uh, elections of politicians that they want this fall. And uh, the unions that are basically the blue collar hard hat unions in the United States, the laborers, the um, uh, uh, construction trades at the uh, AFL-CIO wrote the president of the union, uh, Richard Trumka, and said, we do not like what this is, uh, looks like because this fella, this hedge fund 
billionaire um, who's trying to, in essence, kill jobs of our workers, and we cannot support that, and we would like the AFL to reverse itself on this and get out of this program. And uh, it's caused quite a stir back here because typically there may be some disagreements, but not in a public letter. So it was a wonderful thing to see. Uh, if you care yeah. about those jobs of those people that build things in America and want to continue to build them, and under under the Steyer plan, we're not going to be able to build anything or afford anything or have any jobs to even talk about. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to see, but it, it was it's an interesting topic. It's going to be fun to watch for people like you and me who follow this stuff. It'll be fun fun to watch, and I appreciate you sharing uh, those insights with our listeners. And uh, we're out of time, but Dan, thanks for joining us once again on America's Voice for Energy. And and um, this is going to be an interesting election cycle to watch, don't you think? Uh, it is that, Marita. It is that. Thanks so much. <laughs> no doubt about it. Energy's front and center in this election cycle. It's a key issue. The, the, the uh, choice couldn't be more stark. Dan Kish, Senior Vice President for Policy with the Inter- Institute for Energy Research, thanks for joining us on America's Voice for Energy. We'll be right back. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to America's Webradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our closing segment of this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and in this segment, we're going to be talking with Dave Barnett, who is the international representative for the pipeline department of the United Association, and he will tell us more about this, but I invited Dave back to America's Voice for Energy uh, because this week, as you know, we've been talking about Tom Steyer and his um, influence in politics and in green energy policies. And while I wrote my column over the weekend, on Tuesday, the New York Times came out with an article talking about Tom Steyer's involvement in getting unions uh, to participate in a super PAC, which has created kind of a a divide in the unions. And in fact, Terry Sullivan, the president of the, 
I have to get it in front of me here so I have it correct, get the right title, although, uh, David, you could probably tell me. The yeah. uh, Lyuna, yes, so La Terry Sullivan is president of Lyuna. That's and the you'll tell us. Union of North America, yes. Okay, thank you for giving me that full definition there. He sent a letter to Richard Trumpka uh, in opposition to this, and I, personally I just want to read this one paragraph that directly addresses Tom Steyer that I loved, how it ends. He says, Tom Steyer and his allies oppose an all-of-the-above energy policy that not only creates good union jobs, but offers to keep the lights on and meet our nation's energy needs, even as we transition to a cleaner, more sustainable future. His vision of leaving oil, natural gas, and other fossil fuels in the ground kills jobs, drives up energy costs, and threatens to strangle our economy. As a hedge fund billionaire, he may not feel the pain of such self-righteous, patronizing, unrealistic, and damaging policies. But our members and all American families do. Leave it in the ground is not a viable energy policy. It's political bullshit. He kind of lays it right out there, doesn't he, Dave? He always does, and I agree with that, totally. So I'm delighted that you're willing to join us again on America's Voice for Energy. When I read about this story, I thought, well, who can I get to, to come for this last segment of the show to kind of wrap this up with the, the new union story? And, and I thought, well, likely Terry O'Sullivan is busy. He's probably not going to join me. But I remembered what a great job you did with us, Dave, that a year ago when we talked about the Keystone Pipeline so um, I appreciate you you taking time out of your busy day to join us once again. You bet, Reed, and, and I appreciate those comments. So what do you see? Uh, first, for our listeners, explain a little bit more what you do as international representative for the Pipeline Department of the United Association so they understand where you're coming from. I represent the welders, pipe fitters, and welder helpers throughout the United States, uh, uh, from a national perspective, uh, we have 18 local unions within the UA that that monitor the on-the-ground uh, everyday activities of our uh, projects and and our contracts. And then, whenever something escalates or when it comes to negotiations of the agreement, I'm involved with uh, making sure that both sides uh, abide to that agreement and that we get our workers get what's coming to them. And on so the other you're, side of that, I, I do a lot of activity out speaking in, in uh, town hall meetings, trying to get pipelines permitted. That's where our members go to work. Our contractors get to projects, and our members go to work when that happens. And uh, without these permits and without these uh, pipelines being built, naturally the uh, natural gas and, and oil cannot be moved. And uh, that is where the environmental groups have focused their, I'm going to say, attacks is on the pipelines themselves. They know if they can keep them from getting permitted, then the oil or gas doesn't get moved. Yeah, and this is all part of, as Terry uh, O'Sullivan said, th this keep it in the ground movement, which I've been addressing uh, since December uh, in my writing and my work. Uh, have you found that the uh, permitting process for these pipelines has gotten more cumbersome? Absolutely, absolutely. I've never seen it so cumbersome as it is today. Um, you know, the, the environmental groups 
they are definitely uh, taking full uh, opportunity of social media. Um, they're they're inflaming the local groups. We've always had what we would uh, have heard referred to before as NIMBYs, not in my backyard for pipelines. No one likes them one out their back door, but we also know that it's the safest mode of transportation for oil and natural gas that we have, and so it only makes sense to transport it that way. And and uh, so they have been really um, accomplished at inflaming these uh, local groups uh, to come out against these pipelines in their local areas because they just don't want them there. You know, what's amazing to me is a lot of times when we read these comments that the local uh, individual and residents uh, send in to the uh, public utility commissions or who is ever responsible for any one project, uh, a lot of times they'll say this is not the right route. The right route would be like 20 miles south of where I'm at. Well, it's going to be in someone's on someone's property in someone's backyard, and it, we always get that. And so it comes down to an ultimate decision, Where's, where are we going to build it? Because we do need to build it. We have a lot of natural gas sitting in Pennsylvania in the Marcellus, all sitting in North Dakota, that cannot be uh, moved right now because lack of pipeline capacity. And uh, if I were to count them, I, I know there's well over 50 pipeline projects on the maps to be permitted right now to start moving these products. And, you know, that's part of what I do is go out there and try to get this done every day. But I'll tell you, it ultimately seems like it comes down to uh, local political issues where these residents have some pressure to apply to their local politician to where he's, as we've seen last week in in, uh, in New York State on the Constitution Pipeline, that pipeline is 124 miles of 24-inch uh, and 30-inch and it had every approval, FERC and everything, to go forward and came down to one water quality permit in the state of New York, and that one permit denied the whole project after five years of work. Wow. I think people don't realize how involved and how complicated these matters are, and I also think people don't realize how many pipelines already exist that we don't even know about, and they we don't know about them because they silently do their job. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, the other part of what I do is I'm out there pushing for replacement of the aging pipelines to keep the public safe. Mm -hmm. You know, we want safe pipelines to be built. And you can't run a pipeline forever. And so I'm seeing a lot of our industry stepping up now and realizing that, you know, the business model that we may have operated on 20 years ago, as in just run it until it breaks, it's not the business model that we're going to need today and going forward. We're going to need pipelines to where we can prove to the public, because they are uh, more educated about pipelines, to let them know and give them a confident feeling that um, these pipelines are going to be safe when we do construct them, especially with our unionized trained workers. Yeah, and yeah, I'm glad you brought up the unionized trained workers, because I recall when you and I conversed a little over a year ago over the Keystone Pipeline, you told me something about um, that a representative from the Sierra Club said to you something along the lines of, and you go ahead and interrupt me when you know what I'm saying so you can, you can go ahead and finish it, but that the Sierra Club representative said something to you along the lines of, we know that your, your members can build safe pipelines. We know that safe pipelines or that pipelines are the safest way to transport oil and natural gas. But it's not about, it's not really about that. Do you recall that? 
I do recall that. Uh, I, I could never forget that um, because it, it was a uh, it was a moment that that I absolutely got a confession from them that um, it's not really about the pipeline. It's about leaving leaving the oil and gas in the ground. And that campaign, I completely agree with Terry O'Sullivan, is is not something that the average American public can afford to do. Energy. You know, we talk about and we hear about a lot of times uh, uh, loss of life or, com you know, uh, connected with, with certain projects or certain things. But I would like for people just to stop for a minute and think about how many lives natural gas has saved. It keeps people warm in the winter. It transports products. It, it, it makes uh, products that we use every day. And so when you look at the huge picture, uh, we have to have it. I mean, what if we were really, what if we really did what the environmentalists wanted to do and leave it in the ground? We'd all be burning wood products, and we'd have more pollution than than we could ever uh, get rid of. I mean, it, it's not the viable answer. Natural gas is the clean energy answer, and only five or six years ago, the environmentalists were agreeing with us on that when they were attacking coal. That natural gas is the answer, and now all of a sudden. No, we want to leave it in the ground. They called it a bridge fuel. And I had, I had an environmentalist tell me the other day, an extreme environmentalist, because I'm an environmentalist myself, but I refer to them as... Right, I would agree with you. I would consider myself an environmentalist as well. Absolutely. They're the extreme side. And um, they live in a, in a futuristic dream world to where wind and solar is going to power this planet. And it may happen one of these days. I'm going to predict that it will. But it's a long ways in the future. And until then, we're going to need oil and natural gas to sustain our power grid and to supply the energy we need for the basic uh, uh, fundamental needs of staying alive to start with in, in the cold winter and for the products and, and jobs that we need and count on for them. So what do you think is, you know, we're in a political season, obviously. I agree with everything you've said, of course, that, that we need these fuels and that we're going to be needing them for, for you know, decades to come. And certainly in anyone listening's lifetime, these are still going to be uh, primary sources of fuel in the United States and, and most of the rest of the world, all, all the world. But in, in just the last couple minutes that we're down to, this has become such a political matter in this political season. How do you see this playing out with the unions and the environmentalists? Well, I think uh, it will play out as it has in the past. I think that if, if there's things that we can agree on, such as uh, replacement of aging pipeline infrastructure when it comes to natural gas, we're going to try to partner and, 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 and work with them if we can. But there's so many things out there that we don't agree on, such as leave it in the ground campaign, that, um, and, and we believe in the all above energy selection, and they don't, and that's a drastic uh, difference of views, and I just don't see how we can uh, come together to where we have the same goal uh, in this campaign season that's coming up. I mean, we're going to be on opposite sides. Yet, yet the, Demo the, Democrat, the Democrat Party is fighting for um, both the union vote and the environmental vote. But as you said, they don't seem like they're parallel. We've only got about 30 seconds left. Okay, it's going to be the it's going to be the talented politician that brings that to together. <laughs> they can use that uh, going forward. But I'll just say this: you know, we believe in all the above energy and a sustainable energy and affordable energy and natural gas and oil. Today is where we're at on that, 
and uh, I live in today's world, and I work towards tomorrow's world, but Energy Information Administration says by 2040 we'll still have increased natural gas and oil consumption, even with wind and solar coming on board. So um, I just don't see that happening, and I have, to, I have to deal in a realistic world. Yeah, well, I appreciate you sharing. We're out of time. We've been talking with Dave Barnett, of the, uh, the international representative for the Pipeline Department of the United Association. I so appreciate your time for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of America's Voice for Energy. Thanks for listening. You are listening to America's Web Radio, your voice in the matter.